a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move, down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He, he won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the gun. who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. But before we get started with today's podcast, here's a short message from the Say the Damn Score marketing team. Hey, marketing team, get over here. I'm on my way. What's up? You need to tell our great listeners about the Critique Crew service. Oh, I'd be happy to. Say the Damn Score now offers a critique service. You send us 8 to 10 minutes of your work, and we have one of our nine expert broadcasters listen to your work and provide detailed written feedback of your strengths, weaknesses, and places you can improve. Many coaching and critique services are expensive, not ours. For just over 30 bucks, you can receive a professional critique of your work. Whether you're a young broadcaster coming up short in the job market or a veteran trying to reach the next level, for the price of a happy hour tab, you could be on your way to becoming a better broadcaster. Visit saythedamnscore.com slash critique-crew or click on the Critique Crew link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Hey, production team, get back over here. And welcome back to the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, this is Logan Anderson, the host of the show, at least every time so far, until somebody kicks me out of my own podcast. That hasn't happened quite yet. This is the Say the Damn Score podcast, where we talk with sportscasters about sportscasting. And right now, we are joined by a special guest for this week. Joe Van Gore, the voice of the University of South Dakota Coyotes. Don't call them coyotes. He will find you. Well, uh, no, somebody else will find you, and they'll probably hurt you worse than I will. (laughs) (laughs) But Joe is the third person who has been live for this podcast. I shouldn't say live. Recorded in person. And one of them was my other co-worker, John Thayer, who... Uh, I think on my very first day at this job, I had to come on because things were so crazy that I just needed to find anyone who was readily available at that moment to come on. And then I did one from the Sioux City, I don't know, a hotel in Sioux City with some people who were in there for the NAI Women's Basketball Tournament. But So you are lucky number three as far right. as in-person guests. All right. Well, great to, great to be here, Logan. So let's start off where I like to start off with a good portion of our guests is just what was your initial big break into getting your first professional radio job? Well, uh, I am uh, celebrating, oh, let's see, 41 years in radio and uh, starting my 34th year uh, in sportscasting. And it was kind of by accident that I got into uh, sportscasting I started doing games in January of 1984 on uh, WNAX, a five-state station uh, in Yankton, South Dakota. Uh, it was a opportunity that to uh, help out. Uh, they did have uh, uh, a long-tenured uh, sports director, Norm Hilson. Uh, I, I was working for the associate sports director, a guy named Carl Thorson. Uh, my first ever game. And I don't know if it's my break or not, but it was a 
girls basketball game in a tournament in northeast Nebraska called the Knox County Boys and Girls Invitational Tournament, or in-house, as it became to known, the dreaded F and Knox. But um, it was uh, it was an experience. This is back when uh, this would have been in uh, January of 1984 when girls basketball was still playing with the regular size basketball, the one the guys use. And I can remember specifically the uh, one of the uh, girls coaches was a classmate of mine from Yankton High School, uh, where I graduated from uh, way back in 1978. And uh, uh, I remember there were 32 jump balls in the game. There was, you know, and this, this is at the time where, you know, it wasn't change of possession. Wherever the ball was at, you jumped it in the air, either, you know, in the center or, you know, uh, in the free throw lane where the free throw lane is. I mean, it's, you know, basically obsolete now except for uh, for the NBA and I can remember going, good God. I mean, this <laughs> this is interesting, but I um, uh, was able to uh, kind of take it from there. It was, uh, you know, I, I guess I I was young enough, you know, well, then again, maybe I wasn't. But I was, uh, at the time, uh, you know, making mistakes on a station that could be heard in five states. And I guess I didn't really realize that. I was just having fun, you know, doing games, trying to learn the business and uh and all the uh and all the things surrounding it. So you remember the exact date of the first game that you did down to the month. I cannot remember what I had for breakfast today. <laughs> How do you remember all of that information and the number of jump balls and do you do you have a photographic's not the right word, but do you have a very very good memory? Well, now, you see, that's where I have the problem. I have a hard time, at least when I was young, remembering my mother's uh, birthday. But I guess I have that selective memory. Uh, I mean, I I don't have a uh, record of or I don't have the score sheet uh, of the game, uh, you know, that I did. I got to believe it was a mess if if I if I had it somewhere. But um, I yeah, there's there's some uh, games, you know, and when you do. As many of as I have, I think the term is I've forgotten more than I've done. So I mean that's you know once in a while I'll I can I can pick out something or somebody will jog my memory and uh, yeah yeah that 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 was it yeah that's the story. You don't you're not guilty of you know embellishing the story where it becomes a little bit more and more spectacular each year that it's uh, been gone by. Well, um, I th- I think you know with. In, in growing up uh, in the business, uh, I think it's more of the uh, the, the colleagues that uh, that I had at the time, where uh, it's more getting to the game, uh, getting home from the game, uh, spending time at state tournaments, you know, in prayer meeting and fellowship, quote unquote, um, you know, those those things, uh, you know, I can remember. Uh, a lot of you know the you know the the camaraderie between uh, colleagues you know yeah we're all doing the same thing and and sometimes you're beating your brains out competing you know with the other guy but at the end of the day uh, you know the friendships that I made with colleagues uh, you know especially in South Dakota were were certainly invaluable for me. We talked about the first time you called a game. I read an article about you that said the first time you were working in radio was as a sophomore in high school. How did that come about, and did that have an effect on you eventually going into it professionally, or was it just a part-time job cleaning floors or something? Well, I have two older brothers that were in radio back in the late 60s, early 70s. 
both in Yankton and in Vermilion uh, when they were uh, attending the University of South Dakota. Uh, my oldest brother, Steve, who's a lawyer now, now retired, uh, and my, uh, my uh, second oldest brother, Tony, uh, he is now a doctor, so obviously I took the path of least resistance. But I got to spend some time with them uh, during their shifts, you know, which is something that wasn't really allowed, uh, you know, back then. But, um, you know, like on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning, I was able to uh, hang out with them and, and see what they do. And, and you know, it, it caught my interest in, in um, early 1976, uh, I had gone to um, uh, Tom Kearns, the uh, general manager of KYNT in Yankton, and uh, asked if I could uh, have a part-time job. And he said, well, now this isn't for uh, – at the time when I was in high school, they had a, a, a program called DECA, the Distributive Education Coalition of America or something like that. It was for high school students to work – at a job, get, you know, practical experience with an employer. And there was a, a, a guy, I was a sophomore in high school at the time, and there was a senior uh, on Yankton's basketball team that was working part-time at, uh, at KYNT. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, this is maybe my chance to maybe, you know, start in it. And the first question that Tom Kearns asked me while I was asking for a job, he says, now you're not going to be a DECA guy, are you? And you go, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, they're not always reliable. They're just there to fill time to get credit, you know, for this class. I got to know if you are really interested in doing the job. And I told him I was. And um, in June of 1976, I started working uh, uh, part-time, uh, mostly on weekends. Uh, I never, my, my first full-time job um, was not until after I graduated high school in 1978. I was... <laughs> And, you know, back at the time, I should have been making maybe better money. But uh, the summer after I graduated, I worked uh, five days a week plus a weekend shift at uh, KYNT, but they were paying me minimum wage. So they kind of got away with a little highway robbery, but I was just, you know, willing to uh, uh, to do the, uh, do the work. Uh, with the exception of uh, 10 months um, from June of... 1992 to May of 1993, um, I was, uh, uh, I've been pretty much working uh, full-time since that time. So looking, getting into the business, you went to, like most people, you went to college, but you went to several different colleges before you kind of found the program and the the right fit for you to go forward. What well, is the... What was behind that decision, and what did you learn from that? Well, experience? I, uh, I, you know, I, yep, yeah, it's true. I went to uh, three schools: the University of South Dakota, Mount Marty College in Yankton, Saint Cloud State University of Minnesota. But um, I think only at USD did I pursue anything close to mass com. Uh, I uh, was enjoying the uh, the three two life uh, as a freshman in in college, and uh, wasn't asked to uh, to come back, but. I had more or less, you know, decided that uh, uh, radio was going to be my career, and I, you know, really didn't need to go to school for it because I had such practical experience during uh, my junior year and my senior year, and after that uh, in high school, I, you know, I'd, it just, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd pursued MassCom not only at USD but at St. Cloud State uh, as well, but uh, I 
was what they were teaching is what I already knew. And so I didn't really want to, you know, spend money and have a piece of paper saying that, yeah, I'm, you know, uh, a graduate in, in Mass Comm where I already had the practical experience. So it was more or less the College of Hard Knocks that I got my education in radio. So what suggestion would you make to a aspiring or up-and-coming sportscaster who's who's making that decision? Because I've talked to a lot of different people on this podcast who have taken a lot of different paths. Some of them have you know, left college and gotten immediate mm-hmm. experience and never graduated and done fantastic things. Some have gone to Syracuse and gotten graduate degrees and done fantastic things. What would you recommend somebody do? Well, you know, the, the, the way I started was probably unique, as I mentioned, working at a five-state station where everybody could hear your mistakes, but also can hear you, uh, you know, uh, get, get better. Um, I, you know, working in uh, small market radio for, you know, nearly all my, uh, you know, 41 years. And of course, with the last uh, uh, five associated with, uh, with Learfield and uh, the University of South Dakota, uh, the thing I would suggest is that, you know, obviously, uh, you're probably going to start in a small market, get to know every aspect of that small market station. I mean, I have done air shifts. I mean, I was doing, uh, you know, back back in the 70s, that included playing records, playing commercials on a cart. I mean, pe- you know, uh, people today have it easy, you know, with, um, you know, the digital age and everything and, and having automation uh, help you out and stuff like that. But this, uh, you know, being on the air, I was even involved in sales, uh, and especially after um, uh, my senior year in high school, uh, uh the station I was working for carried amateur baseball, and I was in charge of uh, maintaining accounts uh, for the summer, and uh, that kind of gave me, you know, that side of it too. Um, you know, it, it. I mean, at, at a small market station, you're asked to do a lot of things and probably doubling up, but it's it's great experience uh, for being on the air and also for public relations uh, as well. Uh, if you're doing something else other than sports um, at the at these stations, people know you and are probably a little bit more comfortable with you, or they they uh, you know probably see a side of you that uh, they wouldn't see if you were just doing sports. So, give us the Cliff Notes version from your first job that we talked about before to the point that you're at now, where you're the voice of the of the coyotes. Give us the cliff notes version of how you got there. Well, um, okay. Uh, I, I had mostly done, uh, high school sports, uh, from 1984 through 2012. Uh, you know, there was one year, uh, in 1990, 91 that I did the university of South Dakota and 91, 92, where I did South Dakota State. I'm probably the only living person that has done both uh, state schools. And then, of course, uh, since uh, 2012, uh, up until this time, I've been the uh, you know radio voice for, for South Dakota in football and in men's basketball. But a lot of that, uh, along with my high school play-by-play, I did do Mount Marty College in Yankton for 14 years doing men's and women's basketball, some softball, some baseball, and uh, but and also helped out with South Dakota State games and 
with the University of South Dakota games. Uh, you know, South Dakota State with uh, from 1984 to 88, uh, the year I spent as the voice of the Jacks, 91, 92. Um, and then I was uh, doing Mount Marty from uh, two th- 1995 to 2000 and then 2003 to 2012 uh, when I got the uh, the USD job. And, of course, in the summertime and, of course, in the spring, there was amateur, and teener, and legion baseball, you know, that I did as well. Uh, my My days were, or my weeks were, you know, kind of spent um, making sure the automation was running, but uh, we kind of had the automation system that you had to babysit uh, all the time. And I was spending anywhere from uh, 8 to 10 hours, maybe 12 hours a day, then then having to go out and do a game, you know, at night. So, you know, the, the schedule that I've had for the last uh, five years is uh, – it's about like retirement or in a re- sitting in a retirement home as opposed to what I was doing. So doing both sides of the South Dakota-South Dakota State rivalry, for those who are not familiar with it, who are listening in other states, it's, it's pretty intense, even though for many of the years that that has existed, it's been NCAA Division II or lower division. Now they're both D1, but you've been on both sides of that. We obviously know right now you're in the studio wearing a red T-shirt, a red hat. For all I know, there could be red underwear under there with yeah. a coyote on it. But yeah. it, being a big fan growing up of USD, how did you end up with the SDSU job for a year? Well, um, it, it had to do with being with uh, WNAX. WNAX, at the time I joined them in uh, August of 1983, was the South Dakota State uh, flagship station. This is when, um, really, uh, you know, they were the station. They had no affiliates, not like unlike uh, today where they uh, cover the entire state of uh, South Dakota. So I had helped out with South Dakota State football and men's basketball from uh, basically 84 through 88, and then again that year in 91, in 92, being associated with WNAX. WNAX did have the USD contract from 1988 to 1991. So as, uh, you know, the, the the late Norm Hilson passed away in June of 1990, so I uh, fulfilled the last year of a USD contract, but then South Dakota State uh, came calling again, and uh, I, I did the jacks for that uh, one year. Uh, when I joined Culhane Communications in Vermilion, South Dakota, in May of 1993, they were doing USD, and of course, uh, uh, that was through 93 to 2008, um, through uh, you know the Division Two days, and then um, when uh, Five Star Communications got the uh, uh, affiliate rights or the flagship rights in um, 2012, that's uh, that's how I got to um, move into uh, being the voice of the Coyotes. So one of the interesting parts about your career is most people when they climb the ladder and find their way up to Division Two and Division One. they have to move to do it. You've been able to stay put and climb the ladder and end up with a Division One men's basketball and football job. I guess, was there ever a thought to chase jobs out of Yankton, or were you always comfortable here and just seeing what eventually would come to you? I think I was comfortable 
in uh, staying here. Um, you know, I was married for a time uh, where I didn't want to, you know, move my family, uh, you know, all around. But, you know, of course, by the time I got married in 1991, I had uh, seven years in the business and uh, was comfortable around here. People were uh, comfortable with me. Um, I was willing to go out and do the, uh, you know, the, the tough stuff. And, uh, you know, it's always, it's always served me well. Uh, a lot of what I learned in radio and especially early on, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you could have a, you know, a dynamite, uh, a, a, a dynamite resume, you know, you've done this, you've done that you're looking to, uh, to move up or anything like that. But, all, a lot what I was taught in radio early on was being in the right place at the right time, and I've been very blessed and very fortunate to be in the right place and the right time and able to do what um, you know I'm, I'm still doing today. So how did the process go of switching from Division Two to Division One for the University of South Dakota and then picking up the, the gig for the Coyotes? Just take us through the process when you knew you were involved and how you ended up with the job. Well, in uh, December of 2011, uh, Jeff Fuller, who's the owner of Five Star Communications out of Cherokee, Iowa, which owns the flagship uh, Classic Hits 106.3 and ESPN Radio 1570, Vermilion Yankton, uh, he kind of told me, well, no, actually, that goes back to August 2011. He told me that, um, you know, uh, Learfield is looking for affiliates for the new Coyote Sports Network. And he told me that he was going to apply, um, you know, for affiliate rights. And I said, well, that's great because, you know, for uh, from 2008 to 2012, um, USD really couldn't have been heard in Vermilion and in Yankton. Uh, so... That kind of went in one ear and out the other. And then in December of 2011, uh, Jeff comes to me and says, well, hey, we should know about the USD contract pretty soon. And I said, now the affiliate rights for Yankton and Vermilion, right? And he said, no, I didn't tell you in August that uh, we're applying for the flagship rights. And if we get them, you're the guy. Oh, okay, nice. And then in January of 2012, um, Maybe it was maybe it was a little early to announce that, but the university and Five Star Communications announced that um, there is going to be a new flagship for Coyote Athletics starting in June of 2012, and that I was the guy, which kind of made it awkward. Uh, I was still doing Mount Marty College. The Warren Swain was doing the University of South Dakota at the time, so. Um, all of a sudden, he's a lame duck with USD. I'm a lame duck, you know, with uh, with Mount Marty and everything. And that kind of created a few uh, uncomfortable situations as far as my standing, you know, with, with Mount Marty College. And I'm sure, you know, with Warren as a veteran of a broadcaster as he had, and, you know, of course, he's done Nebraska and Virginia and Ohio and, and all these things throughout uh, his career. And that, I'm sure that uh, kind of, told him, well, that's it for you. I mean, when, when basketball is done, you're done. And, you know, it just kind of created a, uh, an uncomfortable situation, I'm sure, for the both of us. I did go and talk to him before I took over uh, the Coyotes in August of uh, 2012, wanted to show my respect, uh, wanted to show, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, really he was appreciated uh, 
you know, during the time that he did uh, USD from 2008 through uh, through 2012, and that uh, that made me feel better, and it made me feel better having him tell me that uh, you know he was going to uh, you know listen with interest to uh, what I was going to do with the Coyotes. Have you ever been on the other side of that? I know I personally have been on the other side of a station losing the rights, and then all of a sudden you don't have have the position anymore. It has nothing to do with performance or anything like that. Have you ever been on the other side of that? Yes, I have. Uh, this would have been the three years that I didn't do Mount Marty from 2000 to 2003. Um, the athletic director, uh, Chuck Iverson, uh, told uh, my boss at the time and I, Kevin Colhane, that, uh, well, um, uh, Mount Marty is going to, and this was in September, and usually basketball season uh, would start uh, in late October, early November, uh, well, Mount Marty College all of a sudden uh, wants to uh, bid out for the radio contract. And we're going, what? Okay. Well, it had turned out that uh, another station in town had given uh, a generous gift to Mount Marty in exchange for uh, doing radio. And for uh, three years, from 2000 to 2003, somebody else did Mount Marty College, which, of course, you know, freed me up to do, um, you know, to help out more with uh, with USD, which I was already doing, but, you know, a little bit more involved, like, uh, you know, making the North Dakota trip to go to Fargo and to uh, Grand Forks in the middle of January, where my boss didn't want to go. He was the voice of the Coyotes at the time. Um, yeah, so, uh, but those three years, uh, uh, you know, kind of taught me you have, you know, there's no... Sometimes there's no loyalty, there's no sense in what, you know, things do. And then, of course, when I started doing Mount Marty again in the uh, the fall of uh, 2003, I was certainly welcomed back with, uh, with open arms. And that, uh, you know, that association certainly served me well uh, before I started doing the Coyotes in 2012. So being able to go back to Mount Marty those three years after they had changed their rights, I mean, I know I did not do this, but every inch of me wanted to put the double bird up in the air at the people who made that decision and and uh, let them know what was going through in my mind. And, of course, you don't do that, but no. how difficult was it to maintain that bridge? Well, you know, it, uh, I, I think, you know, I kind of buried myself uh, into my high school work. Um, I We had, uh, as of... I believe 1998 or 1999, uh, I had started doing Yankton High School on a full-time basis of football and boys and girls basketball. And, of course, uh, having to do Mount Marty as well, uh, I, you know, I had to kind of uh, uh, have somebody else do Yankton while I was doing, you know, Mount Marty because that's where uh, my boss wanted the more consistent voice, you know, with, uh, with Mount Marty. Um, you know, I listened to the product. You know, I knew what Mount Marty was getting. I knew that I could, you know, that I had in the past, you know, done the job and could do the job again. So it was just a matter of, you know, um, just staying away, you know, once in a while listening to the product and, uh, and then coming back, uh, you know, in 2003, it's, uh, you know, I, you know, certainly had picked up and, uh, and certainly, 
things were uh, for better for me professionally, uh, you know, doing a, a school that I was quite familiar with. So going from there and covering the University of South Dakota, who you had been a fan of growing up, you went there for a while, you you are very much a South Dakota coyote at heart. I guess, did it make it easier or more difficult to be that much of a fan and do a good job on a broadcast? Well, um, I have had... Let's see, uh, a lot of my family, I have three brothers and three sisters. Uh, my two older brothers and my older sister are graduates of USD. Uh, my second brother graduated from med school there. I have a younger sister who has a master's degree uh, from, from USD. So, um, you know, I, growing up, you know, the, the, you know and, and with my brothers and sisters at uh, USD, uh, you know, you got you got to know it uh, a lot, and and also you know, kind of half following, you know, their their athletics, you know, in the paper and everything like that. Um, I uh, I try to keep you know more of an even keel, you know, with it. I mean, um, yeah, there's you know, obviously, you know, your your desire is to to see them succeed, but then at the same time, I think you have to have a a level of uh, objectivity, if there, if that's a, if that's a term, you have to be object and in, uh, in 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 what you're doing and and in presenting, uh, because you know obviously you probably have uh, teams or uh, listeners from you know the other school uh, tuned in uh, you know to the broadcast. I mean, I you just don't want to you know be um, whole hog Homer. You know, USD is doing everything right. This team is doing everything wrong. I mean, I, I, I try, and that, that comes from those days where when I was doing high school football or high school basketball where I wasn't following a particular team, you had to learn two different teams every week. You had to learn to, you know, to keep your, uh, to keep your broadcast, uh, you know, right down the middle because, well, you know, you didn't have a stake in it, but, it it helped that if you were you know down the middle with um, you know the two teams that you were doing, it's a better product uh, that that you can present. Two weeks ago on the podcast, we released an episode with Jeff Colhane, who is now the voice of the North Dakota State Bison, and used to work underneath you when you were the sports director here. Mm-hmm. You worked at the same time with him and Lane Grindle, who is now the number three broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. What was it like having that type of talent underneath you? And did you realize how talented they were when they were here? Or was it something that bloomed later? I think it's something that, uh, you know, they took it to themselves to, uh, you know, to get better. Because uh, I knew that uh, they weren't going to be uh, in Yankton or Vermilion, uh, you know, for very long. They had bigger aspirations. And it's also who you know uh, in the business, um, you know, Lane had uh, worked for us uh, while he was a student at USD, and then after he graduated, he was full time here for a little while. But he had connections down uh, in Nebraska, and especially with uh, you know some pretty good names, uh, you know, got caught on with the uh, the Husker Sports Network. When Jeff came, you know, Jeff came uh, just maybe. 
at the end of what Lane was or Lane's tenure here uh, in Yankton and Vermilion. And uh, it was kind of a matter of time before Jeff wanted to take that that jump as well. So Lane helped him get into uh, Nebraska, and then and of course those guys have just you know gone from there. You know, obviously um, you know Lane doing great with the Brewers. Matter of fact, I saw him out in Denver uh, a couple weeks ago when the Brewers are at uh, Colorado. Uh, talk to Jeff all the time. Um, of course, he has a. Uh, after Nebraska, he went to West Virginia and then uh, got the uh, got the Bison job, um, you know, uh, before last season. And, you know, he has me on his uh, talk shows and stuff. I mean, it's, you know, uh, up in Fargo, uh, <laughs> it's it's about like covering Nebraska. I mean, every everybody loves them. Everything is scrutinized. Everything's under a microscope and everything. But I think Jeff has responded uh, pretty well to that and uh, is, uh, you know, carrying on like Jeff would. Do you take personal pride in having mentored people like that at uh, the beginning of their career? Well, I wouldn't say more like uh, mentored. Um, what, uh, what helped me to stay in the business back in the 80s, you know, with the late Norm Hilson, Norm let me do my own thing. He let me do, uh, uh, he let me develop my own style. You know, he had, he had told me in the car many, many times, he goes, don't, don't do as I do, do your own thing. And I think that served me well. Um, you know, as far as uh, Lane and Jeff are concerned, I let them do, you know, their own thing as well. And of course, you know, it was a pretty good product at the time, having all three of us you know, at the, at the same station doing the different things, uh, that, that, that we were doing. I mean, uh, for two stations to be doing the University of South Dakota full-time, Yankton High School full-time, Vermilion High School full-time, and you throw in area stuff, high school, you know, boys and girls, uh, high school football and high school girls and boys basketball. That is a lot for two stations to do. And, uh, somehow we, we fit it all in. And I think, uh, those, though, I, I'm, I'm sure they'll tell you that it was invaluable for the work that the workload that we had that prepared them for what uh, they're doing today. Almost as good as the people right now doing the same thing at the same station, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> so, was there ever a point where you considered jumping ship and chasing anything else? No, not really. Um, you know, I, you know, all through these. 34 or 33 plus years that I've done uh, games, I've got to know a lot of uh, a lot of people, you know, fans, obviously, coaches, athletes, those athletes now are probably, um, you know, uh, getting getting up in age like, you know, they have children, maybe they have grandchildren. I mean, I've I've had a few instances now. Where uh, you know a former player like at USD said you know um, hey you know my son's going to join the Coyotes next year and I'm going good God have I been in the business that long but you know it, it kind of gives me a sense of pride that uh, you know I I wanted to be here I wanted to stay here and of course the friendships that you make um, in this business you know as I mentioned coaches athletes and fans but also colleagues um, you know the guys that uh, were working at the time that I started in 1984 also kind of gave me, you know, a little juice to want to succeed and, and to, uh, to do the job as well. 
it's starting to maybe change a little bit, but South Dakota is still a place where radio really matters. There's not a lot of video or televised options, especially especially for a lot of the small schools uh, in area high schools to get covered. So a lot of people listen to games on the radio, and it maybe means a little bit more than it mm-hmm. does in other markets. What is it about South Dakota and radio that just seems to fit well together? That's a good question. Um, it, I mean, only, because, it only took me 35 minutes to answer yeah. That's a good question. <laughs> no, um, I, I think that um, um, when, I, when I was doing uh, games for WNEX in the 80s, really uh, other stations in the state were probably doing their own high schools like in Mitchell or in Huron or in Aberdeen or in Watertown or in Rapid City or in Pierre, you know, the major cities uh, in the state. But you see, um, you know, now with the addition, you know, if you're in a group of stations now, uh, you're now able to branch out and do, you know, the towns around them because that's a source of pride uh, for people in small towns is high school athletics. And even though, uh, you know, over the years, things have consolidated. Things have gotten a little bit tighter. Uh, there are schools just hanging on, but the reason why they're just hanging on is because they're, you know, the uh, the members in the district uh, or the, the, the people in a district want to keep that alive. That's their entertainment. I mean, even though with uh, satellite TV, social media, ways that you could uh, – uh, keep up with uh, with everything. There is still a sense of uh, pride in a community, and that pride extends into the uh, the high school sports that they support. And you know, radio stations realizing that uh, you know you could build you can build numbers, not only listeners but money as well uh, by by covering these uh, covering these uh, small towns, having you and your station associated. Okay, well, this guy's always come out and done our games, um, you know, and that's what that's who we listen to, and that's uh, uh, something that uh, that I kind of got into, and uh, you know, really have never left. Um, I, even though I've done the Coyotes exclusively, well, not exclusively, but done them full time for five years in football and men's basketball, I still have the opportunity to help out. You know the stations here. You know with uh, with an occasional high school game, a playoff game in football, boys and girls basketball, maybe in postseason play, and and everything. And and that it it gets me back to my roots of where I you know started and where I was you know first heard. And you know when when people say, "Well, what are you doing here, Joe?" I thought. You're just the coyote guy. And I said, well, no, I'm not just the coyote guy. I'm helping out. I mean, because that that gives me perspective on, um, you know, what I do. Um, you know, um, you know, I'm doing Division One athletics, which, uh, you know, I've like I said, I, uh, you know, kind of uh, was given the opportunity to do. And I would uh, certainly uh, enjoy that. But, um, you know, getting back, getting back to the roots and doing high school athletics, you know, the way it was, the way I was traveling. Uh, back in the 80s and certainly in the 90s and fortunately and also in the 2000s uh, that uh, that I enjoy. You know, it's interesting, a lot of those things you say, because a lot of big high schools, you know, I saw the 
thing on Facebook or ESPN or somewhere about a multi-million dollar stadium for a high school being built somewhere in Texas. Mm -hmm. And in South Dakota, you still have the small town shutting down, you know, pickups around the field and the stands full and the cheerleaders out there and cheering on their boyfriend, the quarterback. And there's just kind of a purity and a romanticism almost to to high school sports in small towns. Well, I've there, you know, it, it all leads. I've, I've spent many, uh, a cold fall night doing a high school football game on the scaffolding where they had to string your phone line and string your power line, uh, you know, to it and everything. And you're, uh, you're all bundled up and you can't write anything. You're just doing a game. You can't really keep track of it. Like you would, all you're doing is just shivering, holding your spotting board uh, doing a the football game, so yeah, no, you're right. Uh, that's uh, that's 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 what you see, and that's uh, how uh, sports, uh, high school sports, are followed uh, here in in South Dakota. There is a, a fan base that uh, you know, I, you know, and I've had a little taste of it in Northeast Nebraska uh, as well, um, and that's uh, that's where people in these small towns want to be. They want to be seen. They want to support. They want to, uh, you know, see their children and their grandchildren, uh, you know, succeed, you know, and hopefully, you know, have great memories of when they were in school a long time ago when things were probably a lot simpler. I'm glad you brought up the sitting on top of a scaffolding with a line dangling all the way up. What is, what are some of the most challenging, we'll call them, places you've had to broadcast from location-wise at a field or a gym? Well, it's funny that you asked that. This would have been, I believe, 1985, uh, a Nebraska eight-man championship in Lawrence, Nebraska, which is uh, southeast of Hastings, about 10 or 15 miles north of the Kansas border, uh, uh, a, a small-town Coleridge uh, in northeast Nebraska. It's now part of uh, Laurel Concord Coleridge. But uh, they were in the eight-man championship, and we're in Lawrence. And uh, like many uh, eight-man schools in Nebraska, like many nine-man schools in uh, South Dakota, sometimes you're playing in the outfield of a baseball diamond. Uh, and uh, Lawrence, and it was I think it's Lawrence Nelson now, but it was Lawrence back then, and Lawrence was no exception. Uh, but, of course, there were a total of four radio stations doing it, three of them were up in the crow's nest and me being the, you know, from W1AX being the fourth, I had to be ground level on in, in the bleachers. Um, I had to have my uh, phone line and extension cord uh, come out. You know, they provided them for me. I didn't have to bring it, but they, uh, it was at least maybe 200 feet of each that they strung out, you know, made secure, but they strung out from this dugout where my phone line was, where the power was, and they strung it out to the uh, uh, to the bleachers. Um, it was, I think, 15 degrees at kickoff. Wind chill was zero. There was, uh, it wasn't snow. It was ice crystals. Um, and uh, uh, luckily... You know, and it was like the 20-yard line of an 80-yard field at, at one end. So uh, luckily in the first half, I had a lot of the game in front of me. But then, you know, in the second half, I mean, it, it ended up being a close game. Coleridge lost the game. 
But um, um, I can remember my color man. In the third quarter, there were some fans from Coleridge that were down in the game. And for some strange reason, we stopped uh, in the local tavern because we had seen a bus outside. For prayer meeting and fellowship. For prayer meeting and fellowship, yeah. Uh, So here's all these Coleridge fans. They're, you know, know, praying and having fellowship uh, before the game. And um, in the third quarter... I was, you know, trying to look down and, and, and watch the play. And, of course, I was hoping my color man was watching the same thing. Well, a fight had broken out in front of him, and it was between a couple of Coleridge fans. And, uh, you know, I said, oh, gosh, you know, wasn't that a great play? And I turn around. He's looking at the fight, just shaking his head. And pretty soon the fight escalated to the point where I got knocked off the air. Now, of course, you've been outside for a while where your phone line, where your extension cord, even though it's all weather, are kind of, uh, you know, frozen up a little bit. Uh, it took me took me maybe five or ten minutes to finally get things hooked back up, you know, to get uh, to get back on the air. And uh, that's, uh, you know, of course, this was at a time where you had to rely on phone lines you know, to do a game, you know, of course, now with, um, you know, doing it by cell phone with the internet and everything like that. I mean, guys have it easy. And of course, the equipment I use, you know, to do South Dakota games is, uh, you know, pretty top notch too. But at the time you had, if you didn't have a phone line, if you didn't have a dial tone to the thing you plugged into, you didn't do the game. You know, I mean, it, it just, it just didn't work that way back then. Uh, but now, you know, with everything that's uh, available for a, for a sportscaster to use with the, the platforms and stuff, it's, uh, you know, you, you can get on the air somehow. Doing eight-man football on an 80-yard field, I know I made this mistake numerous times, probably the first, like, three of them that I did before I finally got it out of my head. How many times did you say the 50-yard line when they crossed midfield instead of the 40? Uh, I probably... Well, in South Dakota, a lot of nine-man teams use and still use 100-yard fields. Yeah, and so but in but, Nebraska eight-man, they but don't. but in Nebraska eight-man, they don't. No, I mean I I can remember you know, you know you're trying to do the addition. You know you see it, you know, and and you know these are these are fields that don't have numbers on them. So you're trying to remember that uh, yeah it is you know the 40 is is midfield and. Uh, you know, it, yeah, it, it, there might have been a couple instances that I, <laughs> that I ended up, uh, saying, you know, the 40, 37 yard line and, or something like that. So it, uh, it, uh, it was interesting, no doubt. What are some of the other, I like to call them broadcast horror stories that you've had to go through where you can laugh at them now and have fun telling the story, but at the time, like the time when there was a fist fight broke out that knocked you off the mm-hmm. air, you were mortified by? Uh, well, you know, surprisingly, there's only been maybe a couple instances that I wasn't able to do a game uh, where uh, this is when cell phones, uh, the bag phones were coming in to uh, to Vogue and stuff. And I was uh, at a school northwest of uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, that for some train, you know, the, the school was out in the middle of nowhere uh, in the country and it had no cell service nearby. And I was told that a cell phone would work there, or or at least a bag phone. You know, these bag phones were invaluable because they were they had a little juice behind them. You know, they were powerful. 
and you know usually you know uh, gave a good uh, a good sound and you know, and you also got a good signal but uh, I could not get a signal worth my life and I had tried so many times and you know the game had already started and so I gave up I mean um, I, I I couldn't even have the option of um, um, having uh, you know string a phone line from a office phone or something like that to like the door uh, of the gym you know that that wasn't available to me although it, that did happen to me one time doing Mount Marty down at what's now Midland University in Fremont Nebraska um, uh, the station following uh, Midland was not doing Midland that night. They were uh, across town doing a, a Fremont high school game. But uh, they had it where uh, they threw a switch for a visiting radio station from the Fremont high school gym to the gym at Midland. Well, for some strange reason, uh, they um, the, the connection, that, that, that switch, between Fremont High School and the Midland uh, gym got uh, got interrupted or got cut or something happened, so I wasn't able to. So I, you know, I I knew the uh, I knew the uh, uh, the men's basketball coach and very well, and uh, also the uh, he the uh, sports information director who was also I I believe the uh, softball coach managed to string. I had I had a a good a good uh, a good uh, uh, I had a good long phone line, so I plugged into his phone across from a door, and this was like an indoor field house. It had a running track and everything like that around the court. Uh, I missed the first half, but I was able to recreate. Um, you know, I got on about with five minutes left to go in the in the half. Or in the first, or in the at the halftime, was able to recreate the game and then do the second half, but that was ground level, at the end of a. Of what a do you mean by court. recreate the game? Were you just kind of making up the play-by-play from? What well, was going I, on what the I court? did. Well, I did. Well, what I did is, you know, while I was, you know, waiting to get, you know, this all this set up and everything, and I was watching the game and writing down a note or two, you know, at this at this juncture. Uh, you know, this guy from Mount Marty made a great play, and then Ma- and then Midland made a good run. You know, I mean the, so the detailed recap. Yeah, kind of, kind of like a recap of what uh, what happened uh, in the first half, and then I was able to do the uh, the second half. But uh, you know, you gosh, you get out of one of those broadcasts, and you're going, "Do I really need to be doing this?" I mean, is this you know? I mean, but fortunately, in 33 plus years, uh, a lot of that's been uh, few and far between when I actually could not get on the air so a mutual co-worker of ours we're not going to say who it was it rhymes with schman schmeyer a production note we are talking about john thayer the voice of university of south dakota women's basketball <laughs> and uh, he gave me a couple questions to ask you and he said you are the only person who's ever gotten pulled over on the way to or from a game that he's ever been with, are you? Have, do you have a habit of maybe testing the law of the land when trying to get to a game on time? Well, it it's funny that uh, this person should ask this because, yeah, um, I believe I got pulled over for following too close. Uh, I think um, we were on 
um, US 281 heading to Aberdeen. And, you know, and it was also, yeah, both times I got pulled over when this person was in the car, uh, was going, uh, you know, to Aberdeen or in the Aberdeen area. Um, I got pulled over for following too close. Really? And I got a warning. Uh, the second time, I think we were doing a playoff football game uh, in Leola, which uh, was uh, northwest of uh, Aberdeen. And it's a long drive. It's, uh, well, from uh, Yankton. And eventually, you know, to back to Vermilion where I live, uh, yeah, that, that was a long day. I mean, it was only one half of football, thank God. I mean, so, I mean, it didn't make it all that uh, bad. Uh, I think just north of Redfield on 281, I got pulled over and was uh, cited for uh, speeding, but uh, only got a warning there. So um, yeah, even though uh, this person that uh, is asking the, uh, the questions, uh, I did not have to pay the state of South Dakota a dime for what I did. So that's interesting because I personally, when I worked in Iowa, I was coming from Orange City back to Denison, which is probably about a two and a half, three hour drive. Mm-hmm. And it was a late weekday game. So I was tired and I was driving really fast. And for those of you that don't know that area, as we're kind of getting inside baseball here, it's very rural. So there's a usually... And a 55-mile-per-hour speed limit. Yes. Yeah. So I was going probably 70 or 75 and nice. just trying to get home. And I got pulled over. It was uh, it was one of the days where they had saturation coverage looking for DUIs. And I got pulled over on the way from the game. And they said, do you know how fast you're going? And uh, no. What are you doing out right now? Oh, it's coming back from broadcasting a game. And he goes, oh, what was the score? My nephew was playing on that game on that game and i'm like yes i'm gonna get out of this and i did and <laughs> nice do, do, do you feel like you're the fact that you were a broadcaster helped you get out of those those tickets oh hell no i mean i they they probably didn't know me from jesus christ but uh i you know for the fact that i you know i was pushing i was pushing the limit and maybe going over it uh, for the fact that uh you know maybe um since there was other more serious lawbreakers on the road than me, uh, that's probably why I got off. Okay, so the second story that the guy that rhymes with Schman Schmeyer told me to ask you was the time with Iowa Wesleyan where the numbers were dark. <laughs> well, um, yeah, the uh, this was, well, of course, now the uh, University of South Dakota plays in the Sanford Coyote Sports Center, which is an excellent facility. Uh before that, they played in the Dakota Dome where they played football. And, of course, uh, it's a, you know, you're, you're playing in a dome. That's what you're doing. I mean, you're, you know, the basketball floor is on where the field should be, and there's bleachers all around and everything. But the, um, the sound, you know, is not, you know, the sound, in, instead of being, you know, kind of coming up and, and, and hovering, it goes out. Well, um I have had, I don't know if it's a, a reputation or anything like that, but uh, I, I do have a loud voice and I can be heard. And um, Iowa Wesleyan, uh, this was a um, um, uh, a game that uh, you know the Coyotes you know could have. I think you're allowed a couple non what are called non counters on your schedule in Division One, and Iowa Wesleyan being a Either an NCAA Division Three or NAIA school, I can't remember which. Um, they came to the Dakota Dome. They were wearing, um, 
I can't remember if it was black or purple, but the numbers, you know, either, either the uniforms were black, the, the, uh, the numbers were like a dark purple and they were hard to see even sitting courtside. Well, um, I was in the final break, uh, before the game actually started. And, um, you know, it was, was, um, during, um, the time that Iowa Wesleyan was being introduced and here they come out in these uniforms where you can barely see the numbers and I'm going, you know, and I, you know, I was just kind of, you know, maybe, uh, a little more excited than I should have been, you know, because I said, God, I'm going to have to guess who scored for Iowa Wesleyan based on, you know, like I said, you're going to, these guys are going to sweat up these uniforms and stuff. They're going to be impossible to read. And uh, I, out loud, and I don't know why I did, and this is not on the air, but everybody in the Dakota Dome could hear me. After Iowa Wesleyan got introduced, and before USD, you know, they, you know, teams have like a hype video or music or something like that before they introduce uh, uh, the team and stuff like that, there was about maybe a five-second silence. And I hit it right on the nose saying, I can't see the frickin' numbers. I, did, I didn't say, no, I didn't actually say the F word. I said, I can't see the frickin' numbers. And everybody, everybody that was at that game in the Dakota Dome can hear me. And I'm going, uh, and, you know, the sports information director looks at me going, hey, you, you know you were just heard, right? And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, that uh, – that was that was that uh, that instance, yeah. You've had a lot of success here in South Dakota as a sportscaster. You've won the state sportscaster of the year twice. What did that mean to you? And when did you have an idea that you might be reaching that level of you know talent and popularity? Well, um, the the awards you're talking about uh, are the uh, uh, sportscaster of the year by the High School Coaches Association. That was back in 2005. And then in 2006, I was sportscaster of the year by my peers uh, in the old uh, National Sports Writers and Sportscasters uh, Association. And that was a uh, award voted on, you know, by your peers. Uh, you know, the one, you know, from the high school coaches, you know, it, and don't get me wrong, I, you know, certainly uh, appreciate uh, both. Uh, the one from the coaches association, you know, means a little bit more to me because it, it uh, you know, proves that I, well, it didn't prove, but it, it, it shows that I have a good relationship with the coaches in the state, not only in this area, but when I went out and did state tournaments, um, you know, you have to learn uh, eight teams, maybe besides the one you're covering uh, in that tournament. You've got seven other teams. And what I would do is contact coaches, say, hey, can I come to see you the Wednesday night before the tournament starts on Thursday, get some kind of information, meet you and all that kind of stuff. It, it really, I really enjoyed, you know, that award because it, uh, it proves that the relationships that I had with coaches in the state uh, was valuable and that they would think of me enough, you know, to vote me a sportscaster of the year. So doing this for 40 years, and I've talked to this with a couple other long-term veterans. Uh, one of the other ones was Mike Henriksen from South Dakota, who, was semi-retiring from doing play-by-play. Mm -hmm. I guess, when will you know it's time to be done? I'm not trying to insinuate that you should mm -hmm. be or are that close to being, but 
I guess, have you thought about that at all? Or what is your thought process into that? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'll be, uh, <laughs> I'm going on 58 years old and I've been doing radio since I was 16. I've been doing games since I was 24. Um, I think when I'm physically unable to, uh, I, you know, I try to keep myself in reasonable shape. Um, you know, division one travel, you know, somebody told me, well, Warren Swain told me, he said, division one travel is a whole new animal. And, you know, it's, it's, it's good that you get adjusted to that, uh, right away where in football, we take charter flights, which is great. You know, you leave the day before you come back, you know, after the game, that's, that's great. But with division one basketball, um, like last year, uh, took a eight day trip. Uh, we played, uh, the Coyotes played at Portland, uh, in Oregon, played at, uh, Montana state, you know, uh, a couple days later, then three days later played at Gonzaga in uh, Spokane, Washington. And, you know, and that's, you know, what the coach was trying to tell me is, well, this is like how an NBA team travels, you know, where you're, going to one place you play a game then you go to another place play a game then you go to a third place and stuff uh you know there's a lot of there's a lot of downtime but then again there's a lot of things that you have to be you know uh up on you know you're always uh you're always kind of preparing for the next game but obviously the game in front of you is what uh what's important um i i try to fill a lot of the time that i have traveling, uh, you know, with, with the coyotes, you know, getting, getting acclimated to where I'm working. Uh, I always go to practice and shoot around, maybe even set up during shoot around the day of a game. Um, so I'm, I can just sit down and, uh, you know, and, 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 and make sure everything's uh, working. But I, I like to get more, uh, acclimated to, uh, uh, you know, not being a total slug, you know, you know, with the downtime that you have, you know, I'm always trying to, uh, uh, to do something to, uh, you know, to get ready for a game, you know, maybe look a little bit more, uh, into, uh, you know, what, uh, what, what the storylines are and, and, you know, what a lot of guys do and everything like that. So covering the coyotes, you've got to go to a lot of cool places. You get to go to Cameron indoor stadium coming up, uh, this season covering mm-hmm. coyote basketball as you know, what is essentially a guarantee game. Right. What are some of the highlights, places that you have been able to cover games? Well, um, my first year of doing Coyote football um, in the Division One era, um, Northwestern uh, got to play them. Uh, Northwestern uh, also uh, have been to Oregon uh, when uh, they were at uh, the peak of their powers uh, with uh, Marcus Mariota. Um, you know, been to Kansas and Kansas State, uh, and uh, you know, and, and places uh, you know that uh, were you know things are big time. You know, you're working in a big time booth. You're working, you know, with people that uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, are always you know willing to you know spend a couple minutes uh, you know with you and you know to uh, uh, to help you out to you know with your broadcast. Uh, you know, in, in basketball, uh, Gonzaga, you know, was a good time. You know, here's a place that been sold out forever, and uh, you know, this, this was no exception. And heck, they end up 
you know, playing for the national championship, uh, but, uh, but lose, but, uh, um, yeah, there's, there's been a few, uh, and, uh, certainly looking forward to, uh, going to Duke, uh, also the Coyotes play at UCLA, uh, before Christmas. So that will be, you know, a different kind of atmosphere. I know the uh, Coyote game with Duke is on December 2nd, and I know the uh, UCLA UCLA games on December 19th. So, um, yeah, this, these are, these are places where basketball is, um, you know, uh, you know, is, is on the high altar of, uh, things. And it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a, a privilege to be able to, uh, uh, to do those games. I'm sure you, you, you would, you don't want to leave at all on De- in mid December in South Dakota to go to Southern California. Well, um, well, last year, you know, you go to, you go to Portland where it snows and it doesn't snow and everybody's freaking out. You go to Montana, uh, where it was 16 below in Bozeman uh, when we played, and then you go to uh, Spokane where there's an ice storm going on. Uh, so, you know, there there have been some trips that have been interesting, uh, but uh, I think uh, we'll we'll see how we uh, adjust to, uh, to uh, L.A. come late December. Who are some of your favorite broadcasters to listen to when you're not – calling a game both nationally and maybe some regional people in this area who don't get the credit they deserve? Well, um, as far as uh, national guys are concerned, the late Herb Carneal, who did the Minnesota Twins, uh, when I was working at WNAX, I had a board shift at night that involved running Minnesota Twins games. Always enjoyed Herb Carneal, down to earth, just, you know, he had, he had done it for so long, and so people were used to uh, his style, and it wasn't anything flashy or anything like that, but he did the job, and he did it well. Uh, Pat Hughes, who does the Chicago Cubs, of course, uh, when I was working full-time for the stations before I did the Coyotes, uh, you know, uh, the, the AM, uh, ESPN Radio 1570 carried the Cubs, and there were some times that either it was having to run them or listening to them in automation uh, while, you know, in studio and everything. Always enjoyed Pat, and I do remember visiting with him on a couple of occasions uh, and, you know, just a very, very uh, pleasant man. Um, as far as uh, regionally, uh, I've, uh, I, I got to know Greg Sharp, the voice of the Huskers, you know, a little bit through, um, you know, Lane Grindle and, uh, and Jeff Colhane. Uh, certainly enjoy you know, the work uh, that, that he does. Uh, got to meet Gary Dolphin, who uh, does University of Iowa. The Coyotes played uh, Iowa in the men's NIT and got to spend some time with him. And, of course, he really liked me because I brought Craig Smith, uh, to the coach, over to, over to him to, to, you know, to be interviewed and everything like that. Also had a chance last year to meet uh, Kent Pavelka, who, uh, of course, now, um, as far as uh, I'm not, I'm not a Husker fan. Uh, I'm a Colorado fan. I had a sister that played basketball for Colorado back in the uh, the early '80s, and uh, you know, so of course became a fan of not only Colorado football but Colorado women's basketball as well. But uh, I got to meet uh, Kent Pavelka, and uh, I said, "Well, Kent, uh, being you know a Colorado guy, uh, you know, obviously I've you know I've heard you you know over the years, and of course this is when you know you're traveling back and forth from." Uh, doing USD or South Dakota State games in the Division II era, 
where you're going into Minnesota or you're going up to North Dakota or you're going into Nebraska or you're going into Iowa. Um, you know, those those are some of the guys that, that I have listened to and feel fortunate to have met uh, in my Division One travel so far with the Coyotes. That's fine. No, I no, I there's you know there there's there's a lot of guys that um, you know that I have met over these 33 plus years that were just filling space that they were told they had to do it, and they look more upon it as a a chore than anything else. You know, gosh, I want to go home, put my feet up, and have a drink and have a cigar. But you know, uh, you know, for me. Uh, it, that was that was never a problem. I just didn't know how much I was doing. You know, when you're at you're you're at the station eight to ten hours, then having to get in the car and go do a game, and not getting home till uh, late at night. You know, um, unfortunately, it might have cost me a marriage, uh, but it was something that I felt comfortable in doing. But then, you know, of course, you look back. Um, you know, now my job is doing the coyotes. There's so much free time that I have for the first few months after I took over the coyotes in uh, July of 2012, actually in August of 2012. That's when I uh, uh, handed the reins over to uh, to John Thayer here at the uh, the flagship stations. I was still getting up at 4.15 a.m. six days a week just out of habit. It took me about six or eight months to wean myself from that. And, of course, now, um, along with my coyote duties, I do um, uh, work out of a small studio office in Vermilion and on the air with uh, the FM morning man, Randy Hammer, uh, for an hour. And I have, quote, unquote, office hours. So that's a little bit more structure than what I had from, you know, uh, August of 2012 to April of 2013. But uh you know, I've I've got a pretty good schedule now, and it just made and it just it, it just amazed me how much I was doing, how much I was driving myself, and for the fact that I'm probably still walking upright is probably a testament to that. How would somebody get a hold of you if they wanted to reach out? Well, um, I am on social media. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I am on Twitter. Um, also, uh, uh, my uh, email is uh, J. V-A-N-G-O-O-R at K-V-H-T dot com. Um, you know, back back then, you know, and, 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 this, this, and, this, and, and people always ask me about it because they can't believe it actually happened in these days of social media, email, and other contacts and stuff. When I was starting out doing high school games, I would have to call a coach on Monday and say, Coach, can you send me a roster Mark your starters down by position, and if you have some stats, please send them along. That's send in the mail, you know, snail mail. Uh, Sometimes you were really fortunate and got it on Thursday, so you had a chance to look it over. Sometimes it didn't arrive until Friday afternoon, so you're scrambling. And I would always wait until I got to a game site to do pregame interviews with an old cassette handheld uh, cassette recorder and sometimes these coaches weren't all that enamored with me talking to them before a game because of their in, you know their intensity level is rising their anxiety is rising you know here's a guy asking me about my team or something like that um, you know those days you know fortunately when 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 faxes came 
you know, the old thermal paper and then plain paper facts, it was a savior, let me tell you. But uh, getting getting your information through the mail was um, was something. And there are people that I run into today that can't believe that I had to wait three days for game information to come in the mail. Once again, we are chatting with Joe Van Gore. He is the voice of the USD Coyotes in Vermilion, South Dakota. And Joe, thanks for taking a little bit of time with me. Thank you for tuning in to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Please reach out to the guests that take the time to come on the show. They are a great resource for you, and it's nice to show the guests kind enough to join the show that they are appreciated. Also, please subscribe to the show via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the TuneIn app, or the SayTheDamnScore.com email update list. I'm Logan Anderson. Next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score a little bit more.